0: Good to see you all. My name is Tim. I serve as one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, before we jump into today's text, I got just a couple quick announcements for you. First, uh, next Sunday, August 28th, is our, our next baptism class. And so if you are here and you'd say, Tim, I follow Jesus, just haven't been baptized yet, uh, I would just want to say, hey, why not? Let's get you baptized. So let's uh, join us for this this uh, class next week. You can find all about what baptism is uh, and how do, how we view that here. And also... How you as well can get baptized here at Grace Point Church, so we'd love to invite you to come and be a part of that uh, if you want to go ahead and just get signed up for that class right now you can just there's a QR code in the seat back right there in front of you it says connect with us uh, if you can just go and scan that with your smartphone uh, it'll take you right to our uh, right to a page where you can get registered there also coming up uh, next Sunday uh, we have a prayer event here at Grace Point Church at three thirty pm we're going to meet probably right out here in the Gathering Center lobby area. And it's just going to be a good opportunity for us to come together as a church and pray. Uh, we're just going to kind of prayer walk through the buildings, prayer walk around the property. It's just going to be a wonderful time. We're, we're going to be talking a little bit today about spiritual warfare. And that's one of the best tools that we have in our arsenal against, uh, against the forces of evil, and that is, is prayer. So come and join us and be a part of that. Now, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start there. Uh, We're going to spend most of our time in Ephesians chapter uh, 5. We're going to be wrapping that up, but we're going to start here in Ephesians 6. Now, we say here every week at Grace Point Church that you need a Bible, uh, and we want you to have God's Word in your hand. So you're going to see all around the gathering center tables that have Bibles stacked up on them. Uh, please get up right now. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can get up right now and go grab one. Nobody's going to look at you weird or funny. Also, we have Bibles out at Centerpoint. Uh, if you already have a Bible, but maybe you didn't bring it with you, but you want a, an analog Bible, which is, which is a good thing to have, you can get up right now, go grab it, and then you can pass it off and give it to someone later. What a great gift that could be. Now, today, we are wrapping up our journey or our walk through the book of 1 Peter, and if you're just joining us today, we want to try to catch you up, but just I want to encourage you to go back and uh, go back and listen uh, to, to where we've been kind of been walking through. Uh, but Peter, he's writing this letter to a group of churches uh, who uh, the society and culture that, in which they are living in is really it's not friendly towards them anymore. They're starting to face some persecution. And what what has happened is the recipients of this letter, they heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and they started to follow Jesus. And so they no longer, they put aside pagan deities, they stopped worshiping the Roman emperor, uh, and, and they started worshiping Jesus instead of that. And when this happened, people began to look at them a little weird, a little funny of like, okay, you're, you're loyal to Jesus now. You're saying Jesus is king. Uh, are, are you still loyal to Caesar? Like, what's up with that? And so people began to kind of look at them a little side-eyed, looking a little different. And what you have to understand what's going on here is that Rome is a political system. And it's, uh, it expected its citizens to be loyal to the political party. And so when you changed allegiances, you became this outcast. It's kind, of, it's kind of like this. It's the equivalent of if you went to your hardcore Democratic parents and told them that you voted for Don, Donald Trump. Uh, or if you went to your hardcore conservative parents and you told them that you voted for Joe Biden, they'd be like, you did what? Uh, Like family uh, reunions from that year on is going to be a little awkward to say the least. And so that's kind of what's happening here just on a different level. And so here these followers of Jesus are saying, no longer is Caesar king, but Jesus is king. So Peter's been writing this letter to them to try to encourage them. He's saying, hey, persecution's coming your way. and, And this is how you should live your life in light of that persecution, He's saying, like, hey, and he, then writing to encourage them in that as well. And so Peter closes out his, his letter to these churches, and really he closes out his letter to us today. And what he does is he's going to leave his readers, he's going to leave us with a final warning and a final encouragement. So, one last warning, one last encouragement. That's where we're headed today. Now, this is the big thing I want you to, to see since these churches have switched over from Team Jesus, uh, from Team Caesar over to Team Jesus, uh, and we read that Nero would eventually go on and start persecuting Christians and he would be killing Christians, you would think that Nero is the enemy. Like if someone's out to kill me, right, or out to get me, they're, they're, they're my enemy. They're not for me, they're against me. You're my enemy. You're coming at me. And what, P, what Paul says here. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, "...for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." And he's saying, hey, like we, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Like th- these people really uh, aren't your enemy. At the root cause of this, you do have an enemy. And so Peter is today going to tell his reader who the real enemy is. Now, really, if you just look at our world and our culture, uh, we, we see people taking sides more than ever. And if whatever side that you are on, we tend to view the other person that is on the other side of where our stance is or that, we view them as like they're the enemy. And can I just say that today that the Republicans are not your enemy. And the Democrats are not your enemy. And your spouse is definitely not your enemy. And your kids are not your enemy, even though you think they're ganging up on you. Um, Ty Nickelback is not your enemy. I don't know what they did to you ever. Um, But uh, your boss is not your enemy. But we do, the Bible says, we do have an enemy, though. And this enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy us. Look at what John uh, 10.10 says about this. Uh, Jesus is saying, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life, have it abundantly. So let's turn it over to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to finish out this letter and see what Peter has to say about this enemy. Uh, We're going to pick up here in verse 8. It says this. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. It says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So, so who is our enemy? Your adversary, the devil. Right, the devil is our enemy. So your a- adversary is just a Hebrew name for, for Satan. And devil is just, uh, is just a word for deceiver. And so adversary, the devil, Satan, the deceiver, he is our enemy. He is our adversary. It means he is against you. He is not for you in any way. He is after our souls. And really, this should begin to tell you something about the value and worth the human soul is. I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon said about this. He says, Consider how precious a soul must be when God and the devil are both after it. We have a soul. And we would be wise to be sober-minded about what we put into that. We should be watchful and be caring of our souls in that and nourish our souls. But we have an enemy that is after our souls. It says, be watchful. It means that we need to be aware. We need to pay attention that we we need to know that we are in a spiritual battle, that we are in the midst of a spiritual warfare, and that we need to be on guard, that we need to be on the lookout. I want to draw your attention to this word sober-minded. He says that we are to be sober-minded. It's the idea that we should think rightly to be clear-headed in our understanding about who this enemy really is. And really, when you think about it, we can fall into a couple of traps when it comes to our enemy. One is we can tend to, to, to overestimate our enemy's capabilities. Uh, while the, uh, like, uh, and so while the Satan is, is um, a formidable enemy, he is still not God. He is still not all-powerful. He is still not all-knowing. He, he is still limited, but we tend to overestimate our enemy. And we need to be careful, and I want to be careful today to not make too much of him because we want to make much of Jesus and not much of him. But scripture says right here that he's this roaring lion. Now, I don't know about you, but like, I've seen a lion at a zoo, but if that lion were to get out and he'd become walking through here and he's licking his chops, looking at me, I might be a little fearful, right? And so the idea in this, this roaring lion is that Satan wants us to be afraid of him. We talked about anxiety and fear last week. He wants us to be afraid of him, to be to cave in fear. And really, that's the devil's job, is to make us afraid, to make us anxious. And how different is the devil from Jesus, right? One is a roaring lion wanting to devour you. The other one wants to save you and rescue you. Peter's saying, hey, don't fear. We don't have anything really to fear. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be watchful, <clears throat> but we don't have to fear because we know a, <clears throat> excuse me, a bigger, better lion, the lion of Judah, right? So we, we know a bigger, better lion who's going to reign over all. So that's one way that we, can, um, we tend to overestimate our enemy. The other trap that we fall into in this is that we tend to underestimate our enemy enemy. Uh, I love what John Mark Comer uh, says about this. In fact, he's got a book called uh, Live No Lives. It's really helpful. He's uh, Recognize and Resist the Three Enemies that Sabotage Your Peace. And so I highly recommend this book. Uh, he talks about the devil, the flesh, and the world, and how those things really work in tandem together. Uh, now, don't be intimidated by the size. It looks really thick for all you non-readers, but the way the book is laid out, it actually could be about less than half of that. Uh, the way that he has the book laid out, but he says this: He says the danger for most of us is not that we feel an excessive and un- unhealthy interest in the devil, is that it's just that we ignore him entirely and go about our lives oblivious to his daily assault on our souls. And really, I would say this is one of the greatest tricks of the enemy: is that he has convinced people that he's not really that much of a threat. I mean, he's there, uh, but he's really not much of a threat. We kind of uh, characterize the devil, right? Like we, we, we just kind of imagine him, he's like this little cartoon devil that's uh, sitting on her shoulder and he's not really much of a threat. He's more annoying than anything. Um, I love, uh, oh, oh Brother, We're Out There. It's one of my favorite movies by the Coen brothers. And I love the line in there. Um, and a uh, dialogue happened between two of the characters. And he says, Pete, I've always wondered what the devil looks like. He says, well, they're all manner of lesser imps and demons, Pete, but the great Satan himself is red and scaly with a bifurcated tail, and he carries a hayfork." And that's kind of how we have come to view uh, our enemy, that he's really not that threatening. He's really not this scary, roaring lion, that he's really just this kind of this harmless, annoying character, but we have an enemy. and So we have to be careful that we don't overestimate or underestimate him. Uh, we, We can get to the place where we can think there's a devil under every rock or we can think there's no devil behind any rock. And so we both ways in this is dangerous thinking. But Peter says that he's prowling around, that he's seeking someone to devour. And Satan wants nothing more than to destroy what God loves, to destroy us. So what are the weapons, what are the tactics that Satan uses to devour us, to come after us? And as we, I want to go through four of these real quickly, and he has more in his arsenal, but these are the four major ones that, that Satan employs. But I want you to notice the progression of how these things work in tandem with one another. The first thing that he uses <clears throat> is distraction. Satan uses distraction. And I really think this may be, in our present day and age, his greatest trick or his favorite trick. Because why bother deceiving you with the truth? Uh, Why bother tempting you uh, if all he has to do is keep you distracted and your eyes off of Jesus? Uh, one, One author, I love the way he puts it this. He says, The extraordinary bombardment on our mind every day from a thousand different sources leaves us distracted with our minds going simultaneously in multiple directions. How then can we receive from Scripture the truth God has for us if we cannot focus long enough, linger long enough to receive the truth? Every age has its own challenges, and this one is ours. It is the affliction of distraction. We've talked a little bit about this uh, over the course of First Peter um, but really, we live in a distracted world. And so I just want um, to talk about two things this morning that Satan uses to distract us. And I want you to notice that these two things really aren't bad things. They're not sinful things. Uh, they're, they're actually good things, but they're good things that become excessive things that become harmful things. Now, this first one, I'm probably going to step on a few toes um, but that's okay. Uh, I might ruffle off some feathers. But this first one is kids' activities. We have been fed this lie that our kids have to participate in activities in order to have well-rounded childhoods. That is a lie straight from Satan. It is. Now, I'm not saying kids' activities are bad. My kids, they were in activities. They played soccer. I-, I believe that there's an appropriateness to this and there's a way to do this. But I have seen children's activities destroy more families and more marriages than I can even care to count because the entire family system is focused on a child's activity. The budget is centered around it. The time is centered around it. Everything, the marriage is centered around it. The whole family revolves around the children's activity. And we have to be careful of this. We have to be mindful of this. One way you know that you are venturing uh, into that territory is when you start missing church, when you start missing community group, when you start missing time together as a family. And I hear all the time, like, well, Tim, we're doing this as a family activity. We get to go to these things together. I'm like, yes, you, you might be doing an activity together, but everything is not focused on connecting and relating and building relationships in the midst of that. It's all centered around the activity." you're doing something together. And, and uh, like, just uh, pray that you hear me on this. You want to give your kids a well-rounded childhood? Show up and be present with them as parents. Now, this next one, I don't really struggle with kids' activities, but this next one is me. So this has me written all over it. And the next one is our phones. Our phones are the biggest distractors um, that that we have, and we carry it around with us 24-7. From the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. Everything has an app and wants you to download the app, and every app wants you to turn on notifications. So if you just think about how many apps do you have on your phone right now? 30? 40? 50? That's how many apps that are sending you notifications, not to mention emails and texts and slack, and all the things that go along with that, and they're just saying, look at me, 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 and it's keeping us distracted. I mentioned a book a few weeks ago called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Another quote from this book that I thought was, uh, was just really helpful, spiritual devastation is more likely to come from an enemy with a smiling face. It is. And we look at our culture, we look at the church, and we uh, really, if we were truly honest, we see so much spiritual devastation happening in our lives. And Satan wants nothing more than to distract you. And once we're distracted from the truth of Jesus, we are so easily deceived. And that's his weapon number two of choice is deception. Hashtag fake news, Right? He attacks us with, with lies. Uh, look what Jesus says about Satan in John 8, 44. Jesus, he's speaking to uh, the religious leaders. I and mean, I, I think this is always interest, is interesting that Jesus is talking to uber rigid, legalistic, spiritual leaders, and he says this to them. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know what? We can just kind of break down this verse, but we can just break down this verse and we can really shorten it to say, How do we know when the devil is lying? When his lips are moving, right? That's how we know. Uh, and really, uh, our very first introduction to Satan, that's exactly what he is doing. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It's a very first introduction to Satan in Scripture. And it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say That you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And I want you to notice right there that in this deception, there's just a hint. There's just an element of truth. And really, the best lies are ones that contain a little bit of truth. Uh, I read a uh, a quote, I don't know where I got it from. But it says, the best lies are 95% true. Just make sure the 5% that's not does the most damage. And that's what Satan's MO, that's that's how he operates. And so what I want to do this morning, I just want to walk quickly through three lies Satan uses to deceive us. Uh, The first one is we call God won't lies. God won't help me. God won't forgive me. God won't hear me. God won't love me. Uh, And really, these are lies about God's character and his nature. These are lies, direct lies about who God is. Second one, we call these, we call them nobody cares lies. God doesn't really care about what I'm going through. People don't really care about me. I'm unlovable. Everyone's going to let you down. You're on your own. No one's looking out for you. The church doesn't care. Uh, They're just going to let you down like everybody else. Nobody cares. You're all alone. Like, you just have to figure this out by yourself. And the third one, <clears throat> turns into these self-centered lies. Self-centered lies that live your truth. How many times do we hear that in our culture today? Live your truth as if you are somehow a, a mini source of truth. We are not any kind of source of truth. There is only one truth, and that is God. And so we should not live our truth. We should be living God's truth. God just wants me to be happy. YOLO, baby. You only live once. Uh, I am my own authority. I know what's best for my life. And these are three of the most common lies that we hear whispered by Satan. And the only way that we can fight lies is with truth. We have to be so immersed in the truth in order to be able to combat lies. But let me just ask you, how much time do you actually spend in truth? How much time are you spending in God's Word? This is why we say every week, you need a Bible. We don't just say that because we're a church and we get Jesus nickels. Every time we say that, we're like, there's another one. Like, we really want you to be in that. This is, um, we want you to be connected to the source of truth to combat these lies. Why? Because every minute of every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we are bombarded with the lies of this world. And the only way that we can have a hope and a chance of surviving this is to be in God's Word. So, like, can we, can we just learn a Bible verse this week? Can we just, like, you know, one like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Can we, can we just learn a Scripture verse this week? And then once lies come, then comes temptation. And I love one author's description of this. He says, "Temptation." Is Satan showing you the bait and hiding the hook? It's kind of like when you go fishing, right? You kind of just, you don't want the hook showing, so you just kind of put it in the bait, and then you're, you're kind of dangling it out, and you're like, here, fishy, 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 fishy. Once they bite, man, you just reel it in. Uh, that's exactly what's happening. So what is what kind of bait is there out there? Bait is, hey, you know what? You can be dishonest at work. It's, it's okay. It's, it's not that big of a deal. You can... You can, you can get by, you know, nobody's really going to see you do it. Hook, you ain't got no job. (laughs) Bait, uh, the grass is greener on the other side. Hook, it's on top of a septic tank. Um, Bait, uh, I'll be happier with someone else. Hook, dang it, I got the same problems with them too. I mean, that's, that's exactly uh, what happens. And that is the bait and the hook that Satan uses over and over and over again. And when you take the bait and the hook is set, then comes the accusations, right? And that's his fourth trick, is accusation he accuses us. Uh, Before you sin, uh, the devil, he lies you and says, go ahead, do it. It's going to be fine. Everyone else does it. You know, it's your life. No one really cares anyway. Uh, Like you just do you Uh, and then you sin. And immediately that verbiage changed from go ahead and do it to how could you possibly? Like you're pathetic. You're no good. God doesn't love you. God can never use you. So I want you to know that these are words. These are not the words from a God who loves you, but they're from an enemy that hates you. See, yes, when we sin, there should be conviction. There should be some some godly sorrow in that, but here's how you know the difference. Conviction always drives you to Jesus. Conviction always drives you to the cross, uh, but accusation always drives you Away, It always um, moves you away. And this is how we know when people sin, whatever, like they, they just become absent from church. They, they, they stop showing up. They stop coming. They stop being a part of community. Satan is the accuser. Uh, Revelation 12.10, he talks about this. He said, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Praise God. It says, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, yea, listen to this, who accuses them day and night before our God. Constantly berating and saying, how could you? Why would you? Before you sin, he lies, and after you sin, he accuses. And accusations are designed specifically to attack your spiritual confidence, to attack your joy as a Christ follower, to attack attack your life and freedom that you find in Jesus and his gospel. And so so instead of uh, experiencing joy and and, and satisfaction, knowing that Jesus has died for you, you, you experience discouragement and doubt and despair in all of this. I mean, how many times have you sinned and you've just wallowed in your sin? Like You were no good. You, just, you were just so downcast that you just couldn't move beyond what was going on in your life. I love what uh, one pastor says. He says, Satan wants you to wallow in your sin rather than revel in your Savior. That's where Satan wants you. And these are the weapons that our enemy employs. And I want you to know that we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Like, you get that, right? You understand that. I hope that you are aware of that, that you're sober-minded about that. But if we're engaged in a spiritual war, if we're locked in this spiritual battle, I kind of want to know that I got people with me. I want to know someone is in my foxhole fighting with me. It's a, it's a little fearful to know that I'm in this foxhole by myself, but I want to know that I have other people in the fight with me. Look at verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9. It says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Listen, you're not alone. Ever since Adam and Eve were in the garden, God's people have been attacked by this enemy. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Like, like There's nothing that you are gone through, that nothing that you have experienced in your life. No temptation that you've had before it, it is unique to you. It is common to everyone. But I love this, how Paul finishes out. He says, but God is faithful. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may, not, that you may be able to endure it. One of the best tools that we have to endure it, to escape temptation, is community. And we have to know that what you're going through, what you're being tempted with, what you're struggling with, um, whatever that sin is, lust, porn, financial, overspending, whatever that is, that's nothing new. Really, I want you to look at the people around you. Look, look at the people that are sitting next to you. Look, look up here on stage. There, is, um, uh, there are people here that are experiencing the exact same battle that you are. Go ahead and turn to the next person uh, to you and just say, hey, we're in this together. Yeah. Exactly. We are in this together. And I want you to know, it's not just Grace Point Church that's jacked up. Uh, it's, not just Grace Point, <laughs> it's not just Grace Point Church that struggles. But our brothers and sisters around the world have struggled in this same battle. And Satan wants you to believe that you're the only one. That you're, nobody else struggles the way that you do. That you're not alone. And we would have to be foolish to think that we can do this by ourselves. To be, that we can resist him on our own. Uh, I love nature shows. Uh, if you, I love like Planet Earth and Blue uh, blue, blue Planet, and just uh, th- those things are my jam. I love watching those. I think they're just relaxing. I enjoy them, and but I always like it when the predator is stalking the prey. And if I'm honest, I always kind of am rooting for the predator. Probably says a little bit of something about me, but that's okay. I'm always like, yeah, get them. Um, But if you notice what the predator does with the prey, he always looks for the prey that is maybe separated from the pack. Or if they're not separated from the pack, the predator is trying to separate them from the pack. Why? Because if they're not with the pack, they're more vulnerable. They're easier to pick off. It's the same with us. That when we are isolated and we are alone, we become a prime target for the attacks of the enemy. How does he do this? He does this through his accusations. You'll hear him say things like, I can't believe you struggle with this. Like, like You can't let anybody else know that you struggle with this. What are they going to think of you when they find out that you struggle with this? Like, 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 What kind of Christian would do that? What would they think of you? If they found out that you thought this way or attempted tempted this way or struggled in this way, they would just like, like look at you funny and they would just bail on you. They would think you're some kind of awful person. And so we hear that and we're fearful of just saying, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I got going on in my heart right now. Uh, And when that happens, we can only keep quiet so long. We can only wrestle with temptation alone uh, for so long before we can no longer resist. And eventually we cave. But when we say something, when we go to someone that, a, a, a safe person, a trustworthy person, and say, you know what? I'm struggling with this. I'm tempted by this. And just by saying it out loud, I've seen it over and over again that thing that you're tempted with, that you're struggling with, begins to lose its power that it has over you. And in that, you can resist that together. And I pray, this is my prayer, I pray that Grace Point Church is that safe place. I pray that our church is the safe place where we can go and just say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. And you don't get, like, you struggle with that? I don't struggle with that. Like, there to be something wrong with you. What kind of, what kind of messed up? Crit-? No, but I want you to be able to come and say, hey, I struggle with that. And we can say, hey, how can we help? How can we come around you? Let, let, let's Let's resist this together. That is our enemy, and we must be aware. We must be watchful. We must be sober-minded. But Peter leaves us with one final encouragement. Look down at verse 10. And he says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, Strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's the encouragement victory is on the horizon. God wins. I've read the end of the book, spoiler alert, God wins. Like Jesus has won. And so uh, the, the battle for you might be intense. You might be experiencing some overwhelming temptation or even accusation in the moment. And it may feel like Satan's winning the war right now, but you need to hold on and know that God wins in the end. And the encouragement here is to hang in there, resist, persevere. Look what it says right here it says, the God of all grace, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. He's called you. He's pulled you in, will himself restore. That even when you've given in to temptation, even when you have given into deception and accusation, that God himself is going to restore you. In, in that he confirms you. He confirms you. He says, this is, you are one of my children. I love you. I care about you. This hasn't caused me to stop loving you in any way. So he confirms his love for us. He confirms our identity in him because of Jesus. And he strengthens us. He strengthens us to get back out there and get in the fight. And then he establishes us. He makes us unmovable. He says, we are safe and we are held in his hands. And what Peter's done over and over in his letter is that he is constantly drawing our attention from our immediate circumstances, and he's been pointing us to an eternity with Christ. And that's what Peter's done. It's like, no matter what's coming your way, no matter what the world throws at you, no matter what your enemy says to you, no matter what your enemy uh, puts before you, guess what? Don't put your eyes on that. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on eternal, eternity. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. But look up. But we'll see what's waiting for you. He keeps saying over and over to save your fork because the best is yet to come. He's saying, don't give up now. I mean, like, why would you go? like, you know, the final score. Like, if you know, like, like, you know, you're going to win. So why would you forfeit the game now? He goes on in verse 12. He says, By Savannah, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written uh, briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Look at those last four words stand firm in it. That no matter what you face, no matter what Satan throws your way, stand firm persevere. Don't give up. Peter says, I've written this letter to you to encourage you, to equip you, to help you understand the grace that God has given you through Jesus Christ. He says, I've done my best to lay it out to you, to explain it to you. He says, now stand firm in this. I know sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. And there's times in the midst of all of this that you just feel like I just want to give up. This is, this is too hard. It's too difficult. But stand firm in it. This always reminds me of um, an illustration where about the Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs, um, you know, top elite military uh, units, uh, and and they go through some of the most rigorous training programs in the military and, and to even become a SEAL, you have to go through their BUDS training, which stands for the Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL training. And it's so rigorous, 94% of the people who try out for this, who go through it, don't make it through. Only 6% make it through. 6% of the people only make it. 94% tap out. They don't persevere. And so in the middle of this eight-week training, there's this one week called Hell Week, And and during Hell Week, you only get about four hours of sleep. And it's probably some of the most grueling, physically exhausting um, pain and training that, that humans will experience. And they're doing all of this right next to a bell. And there's a the bell right there, and all they got to do is walk over to that bell and ring the bell, and their suffering is over. All they got to do is walk over there, ring the bell, and, and they get medical treatment. All they got to do is ring the bell, and they get a drink of water. All they got to do is ring the bell, and it's over for them. It's just, it's just like, I, like they don't have to worry about going through the struggle anymore. And on top of that, every single one of their instructors is sitting there enticing them. Ring the bell. Ring the bell. Give up. You're not going to last. Go ahead and ring the bell. And they're doing that over and over and over again. But those who persevered get the honor of being called a Navy SEAL. And what Peter has been telling us over and over and over is to stand firm. Don't ring the bell. Keep going. What Jesus says here in Matthew 24, he says, But the one who endures to the end will be saved endure. Don't give up. we're, We're in this together. We have to fight together. So when you are discouraged and you're tired and you feel like you just may not make it, I want you to keep these words of Charles Spurgeon in mind. He says, for all those discouraged by your progress in Christ, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and Father, we just have confidence that you love us. And so, Father, we're just grateful for that. Father, I just pray that uh, you would protect us from the evil one. Father, that you would just protect us from his distractions and his accusations and his deceptions. So, Father, I just pray that you would just help us lean into you, into your word, into the truth. Father, would you just give us the strength to engage in the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in. Help us give us confidence in that, confidence that knowing that we can engage in that, knowing that the battle and the victory has already been won. And so, Father, for those who are here this morning, maybe they're here and they're just wallowing in their sin, Father, I just pray that they would, you would silence the accuser. And that they would hear the invitation of Jesus saying, come to me. I will give you life. I will give you rest. Father, we just uh, ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.